Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of sporting directors, delve deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. My name is Shailash. I'm the CEO at Get Football Group and I'll be your host today. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, David. How are you today, David? I'm well, Shailash. How are you? Good, good. Quite um, looking forward to this one. It's going to be interesting. So what are we looking at today? Today, you put out, you, well, actually, not, you put out a thread probably at the start of May um, looking at Brighton. Um, and it was, I think, said, you said on it, actually, that, you know, people seem to believe that their success is down to a data-driven model. And uh, you agreed with that. But uh, you also wanted to talk more about their succession planning and discipline. So that's our theme for today, succession planning and discipline. We're going to look a bit closer at Brighton. We're obviously going to look at other clubs as well, hopefully through the lens of sporting directors. So let's get off cracking. The club itself, you know, they've they've obviously got some senior guys there, Paul Barber, Tony Bloom, um, Dan Ashworth previously, who was a sporting director, and David Weir, quite outward-facing guys. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on what, you know, how, how does that team or structure look to you and maybe how does it align into some of that succession planning and discipline that we talked about? Yeah, so the, b- before I even jump into it, um, it's almost like I need to make sure uh, that I thank Brighton and I thank Paul Barber, David Ware, and before them, um, Dan Ashworth, for being open by communicating. Um, obviously, I, you know, they can only give away so much as far as what they do, but the the director of football, sporting director, technical director role is only going to move as fast as those in clubs sharing what they do um, to a to a limit, right? And they've been at the the vanguard of it for almost four or five years. I mean, Paul Barber is very very good at uh, articulating, illustrating what his job is and how certain scenarios actually went down. Um, now, to actually answer your question, uh, I like what they do um, simply because they have the end in mind. And the end in mind starts with starts with two things, actually. It starts with knowing where you are on the, let's call it the, the football food chain or the pyramid, if you will, in Europe. But then it also always, 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 every club reflects ownership to a T. They can only hide who your owner is for so long, right? So if we look at the first part, um, Brighton know that if they have any level of success, their top performers are gone. They're gone. They will be headhunted. They will want, quite frankly, uh, a bigger stage and more wages. There's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. That's the, um, the ebb and flow of life. However, when you know where you are in the you know, the, the food chain, you know that it's imperative that you have a, a, a process, a, a, a pipeline. Dare I say one of my favorite words now, pathway for even technical talent to be moved a chair up, right? If you imagine a boardroom and let's just say that at the head of the table, you have Tony Bloom and the chair next to him is um, now it's David Ware, but every chair next to him is a level of technical talent when we're talking about the football side, not the commercial side necessarily, but when we're talking about the football side, if you do your job right, you can get progressively closer 
to to Tony Bloom's chair, right? As far as saying, hey, this is a perfect time to sell Moises Caicedo. Okay, well, what's your proof? And you tell him, it says, well, you're spot on. Boom, okay? That, that, as simple as it sounds, that is a way of doing, taking two very big risks for any club off the table. You are aligning everybody's uh, intent with the best decision for the club by having succession planning in tight titular roles. But then also you're making your club more sustainable because every talent that comes in, there's a process and you already have replacements in-house, right? Um, I heard uh, Paul Barber make a comment recently that, you know, when you sell Mark Cucurella for 60 odd million euros, you can't then go back into the market and try to get a right back or a left back to um, to replace him because everybody knows that you have money, right? It, it changes the dynamic of your negotiations. So that's the first part. The second part, though, is, and there's been loads, barrels of ink poured uh, on um, uh, stories and biopics and profiles of Tony Bloom, the, the gambler. And I'm not saying those are incorrect. However, there's a miss, there's a... Uh, misconception that you know they gambled or they they take risks they take small bets on players and i'm not saying there's a misconception with that i'm saying more so there's a misconception with risk risk this okay let me step back entrepreneurs smart businessmen the thing that they always try to do is they always try to take as much risk off the table as possible Right. What is the number one re one number one thing that can destroy a football recruitment setup? In my opinion, it's the the sporting director, a technical director being headhunted, getting plucked out. Well, if you know that, shouldn't you be grooming future sporting directors? I mean, yes, you can monitor and have shadow lists of sporting directors in Germany and Italy and what have you. That's fine. I mean, I, I think you should be doing that regardless, right? But what if you could already be doing it in-house so that when, say, oh, I don't know, Dan Ashworth leaves, you pull you pull up your loans manager slash assistant technical director, David Ware, and then you pull up the academy guy, and then you pull up the loans manager, and you have this conveyor belt of talent who knows the Brighton way. I don't know if they necessarily call it the Brighton way, but um, they have this methodology, this operating system that makes it to where they can be plugged in in the middle of the window, in the middle of the season, at the end of the season, Boxing Day, doesn't matter. They all know how Brighton works and they know what's asked of them. And I'm sharing I'm sharing a thread, I believe it's next week, with, uh, I won't name his name just to keep it um, focused on Brighton, but uh, he was essentially asked in interviews, like, so how do you make it to where you know, your recruitment, the the football management, the first team, the academy, and then the commercial side. This is, you know, an investor, like a, a director of, of the whole club, You're not just the football side, the, the technical side. He said, the only way that I've seen success happen consistently is clarity from the players to the parents, to the canteen, to the managers, to the directors, there has to be clarity. So to, to tie it up, I mean, Brighton does a great job of having absolute clarity and pathways for not only players, but for everybody in the club. No, that, I mean, you, you can tell it's from the outside in, it's a well-run 
organization. Um, and I think, you know, they're put up on a bit of a pedestal at the minute with regards to the way they operate, you know, which is justifiably so, I think, with, with the things that are coming out of the club. And I think maybe the things that are coming out of the club, you know, are by design in many ways, because if they know that people know the way they operate, they're not going to maybe try to mess with them in some ways, I guess, right? Because they know how what their response is going to be. I think it's the Brighton DNA is what I've read in the past, um, as opposed to uh, the Brighton way. I'm just curious, just taking a step a little bit higher up, are there, their model, their kind of, are there similarities with other clubs that you see in Europe? David, I mean, I've got one that comes to mind, Ajax. You know, they obviously have talent, they nurture talent, they're well run. But the difference, the biggest difference that I see, and maybe this is very simplistic, is they tend to lose their top talent outside of the country, whereas Brighton tend to lose their talent within the Premier League in England. So I'm just curious, what what, what, what do you see or is there any other similarities? Sure. I, I know that I'm probably going to miss a couple just off the top of my head, but the number, to me, there's two clubs that, um, are diabolical in how they do this. Number one, who I'm trying to think of who else it would be. To me, the only other club who can speak to, uh, no, no, there's one and one A. FC Nordschland in Denmark and Red Bull Salzburg in Austria are the only, are the two clubs that I would say have, it's not even about hierarchy. There's such a infrastructure to their methodology and their advancement that um, I'm just talking about technical staff. There's such a defined and um, almost uh, unspoken of like expectation that you, you have your, yes, you need to have your licenses. You need to, you know, you need to perform as say a manager. But I mean, I was speaking with somebody who has spent time, significant time in their setup and he, uh, we were talking about, um, I'm going to butcher his last name, so I apologize. My German isn't where it's supposed to be. But their current head coach, I think he's 33, 34, maybe he might even be 32 years old, Matthew uh, Yeisel. Um, you know, there's there's been some rumors, what have you, uh, the, the usual, uh, the Fabrizio Romano uh, level stuff about where he's supposed to go next, right? So in passing, I said, you know, whether he stays or go, and, you know, uh, a friend stopped me. He was like, oh, he's going. I was like, what do you mean he's going? He's like, there's an unwritten rule um, with managers at Red Bull Salzburg where you don't stay more than three seasons. Like you're expected to be moved on because there's other there's other managers in waiting that they need to move up. So think about that. At the end of the day, you you have a club, you have a you have an entity where the whole um let's call it impetus, the whole point of them existing is to improve and develop talents, not just players, right? If we go across, yeah, I guess it would be across, I guess that would be the Black Sea, uh, the pond, sort of, to Denmark, FC Nordschland is even, I don't want to say that they're radical, it's just more so that they are super hyper-focused on the player. They have a sporting director for the first team. They have a sporting director for the academy. They have a sporting director for the women's team. And then they have a sporting director for youth recruitment. So we've talked previously about how, um, and I want, I want to be careful. I don't dislike Todd Bowley or anything that he's doing. It's just, he's, he's the whale, the big fish in the pond of football at the, at the moment. There's nothing wrong with accumulating talent, but there needs to be a, 
try my best to say this correctly. There needs to be a symmetry and a synergy in how they see their jobs, but there needs to be an asymmetric responsibility of who makes a decision, right? Like it's all great if you have 10 play or, you know, 10 uh, recruitment technical staff that can scour the globe for talent, but there needs to be one asymmetric top of that pyramid. Who is going to make the final call and why? And the clubs that do that, i.e. Brighton, um, i.e. FC Northland, and then also Red Bull Salzburg, they don't, they usually don't um, pander or beat around the bush for major transactions, major transfers. They don't have to because they know what their ethos and what their DNA is. No, thanks. It's, it's good to see. It's good to hear about those other clubs and, and how they operate. Um, going, diving a bit deeper now into Brighton and, and focusing more on on succession planning. Um, they, it sounds like they know right that they're going to get talent. That talent's probably going to go somewhere else in a few years. So succession planning is. I guess ingrained from the moment that person comes into the organization. Um, do you, do you think that? Um, I mean, how do they do that? I mean, you know, how do they do that without thinking actually you're coming in, but I know you're going to go, and so that's okay. You know, you still got to build a level of loyalty, a level of trust, a level of togetherness. Are you seeing anything from the words that are coming out of the club to to show how they might do that? Ah, uh, well, it, it's. It, it's honestly what I've seen is what I said at the top of, uh, you know, your first question. It's communication. Uh, at the end of the day, the only time we in sports, in football, the only time we talk positively about uh, communication is when um, there is a um, something to be won in, in a sense. Right. Oh, you know, the manager wrote down what we were going to do in the second half. He handed it to me. I handed it over to, you know messy what okay sure right but when we're talking about losing play losing talent the only way that you can effectively lose as much talent as brighton does every seemingly like every summer window is if you communicate expectations and baselines repetitively with all involved right uh paul barber did a i mean he's done multiple interviews um but I was actually listening to him, uh, another interview, and he said, you know, in regards to Dan Ashworth, he said, look, at the end of the day, Dan got a great opportunity. We weren't going to stand in the way of Dan going to Newcastle. I mean, that's a great opportunity. However, he does have a contract, and we want to make sure that the, con- the parameters of his contract are met so he can go on to his next job. We look at um, uh, Moises Caicedo, this, uh, this winter transfer window. You don't survive that unless you talk to the player, his his family, and his intermediaries, and they understand. Moises, look, you're not going this window. We we can't allow you to. We will allow you, you know, to go whenever that is best for the club and for you, but you can't go this window. In my opinion, being a former professional athlete, you know when you know when management is lying to you. When I say lying, I mean, that, that's probably a strong word. You know when management is posturing for the best case scenario for them, right? And I believe the proof is in the transfers in and out, right? Um, and even the managers and the technical staff that has left. Brighton is, is a team, uh, is a club of their word. 
And when a, when the right offer comes uh, for a player or a coach, manager or a um, director, they honor it. Now, you haven't asked this question, but I'll, I'll bridge the gap to this question. At the end of the day, there has to be constant communication as far as expectation and maybe even more so than expectation timelines, right? You can't tell Moises, in my opinion, humbly, you can't tell Moises Caicedo January 5th, hey, you're not going anywhere, and then not tell him when he's going to go, right? In my opinion. However, at the end of the day, you, you're forced you're forced to always keep the end in mind. And in negotiations with players and, and, and staff and, and what have you, there's we're talking about it before we recorded. There's a there's a luck element to it, right? And Mark Cucarella, they signed him from, I believe you you checked me, Hatafe, right? That's right. Hatafe bought him from Ibar. I think they uh, um, uh, Brighton spent what? Let's just say less than twenty million euro on him. How are they supposed to know that Chelsea is going to get taken over, you know, and uh, Todd Bowley is going to put, pay what he paid for him? They don't know. However, as a small club, smaller market club, they have to keep the integrity of their contracts in line because just because a shiny opportunity, a shiny payday for one player um, is capable, they, they also know, too, that there's more players coming. So this is why I said at the top of the second sentence of that tweet, yes, data drives a lot. Data, And some people say, oh, you know, what's the difference between data-driven and data-informed and, I, you know, whatever semantics you want to use. Uh, in my opinion, you use the information that is there in front of you to make a, I'm going to use the term contained uh, valuation of what would be the best situation for the club first and then the player. If you look at the more tenured managers, they they all say the same things. Um, I am I love Diego Simeone at, at Atletico Madrid, not because he's a great coach or his style, but because he's consistent. And one of the things that he always says, whether it's Antonio Griezmann or it's Jao Felix, who Ty Bully also uh, loaned in, uh, I'm going to do what's best for the club. I'm going to do what's best for the club. And if you can have an ownership model um, or ownership or board, and then you have a sporting director and then a manager on the same page, you have the opportunity to be successful. Um, I mentioned it in the last podcast that we did. It's kind of insane to me that Sevilla has gotten this far because there is, I mean, there's borderline fistfights breaking out in the boardroom. (laughs) And Monchi, you can say whatever you want about Monchi. He has to he has to keep them from killing each other, and he has to look at the talent in the club, and he also has to keep the manager's feet on the ground and say, "Hey, this is what you've always done. You just need to do it now. I'll I'll be the buffer, right?" And he has to say the same thing to the players. Because one of the things that we're talking about um, with communication that is cultural that's not. I mean, I'm not English. I'm not in the UK, so I can't really speak to it. But what I see in directors in Spain and in Germany, those directors are either in Germany, Simon Rolfes, Max Eber, uh, Hassan Sahamajic, sometimes Marco Nepi, they're on the bench. They're in the dugout with the players and the first team, you know, the backroom staff. You know, in Spain and in Italy, 
they're not always there, but they they come down at halftime, you know, or they come down at the end of the match day or uh, the, the game, and they're on the field congratulating, talking to, encouraging players. So, you know, maybe even my thread needs to be updated because, yes, succession planning equals squad planning, but maybe even more so communication is the, the fuel to their rise, but then also their sustainability because they do a great job of communicating. I mean, that's such a key component of, of management harmony, right? That ability to communicate and that team. And it's, it's, it's very, very evident that, you know, they are, that they are so assured of their strengths right now. It feels like they know they have talent across the organization, right? Not just players, right? So, um, and actually, there was a there was a quote from Paul Barber, I think, on one of his interviews where he, you know, just coming back to the data, you know, he said the data they have is is not unique, right? Other clubs have that. Everyone has that. They said the people they have in general, they're not unique in, in certain areas. But when they combine them together and the way they interpret that data and the people that are interpreting it, that's what's unique. And that is quite interesting, actually, um, to find the formula is is hard and so when it then goes back to succession planning and when you lose someone of the prominence of dan ashworth that's got to be hard right david i mean how, how do you replace someone like that um or is it just like you said at the top of the show it, it wasn't news to them they had it they knew it was coming i mean i would imagine to cheat you know to answer your question i imagine it's a combination of both but you know it's coming right I mean, to me, when I look at this is this is somewhat of a tangent, but I, I think it'll illustrate my answer. My, I'll say my answer, and I'll give you my my um, uh, my reasoning and an illustration. They know it's coming, so at the end of the day, they're they're prepared for it, and that contract discipline of saying, "Hey, if Club X, or maybe not even Club X, if a club that is that has been in the top five of the Premier League, uh, La Liga, or um, Serie A, or the Bundesliga, or Ligon comes for you, this is the amount of the clause. Okay. That's done. It's filed away. Everybody signs it, notarized, whatever, move on. Um, in the case of Ashworth, you, you, you kind of know that Again, I'm not on the ground in the UK, but there's not many um, there's not many directors who have his bandwidth, who have been with the FA and who have played, who have been with the FA and then have been in first team football, um, not just on the men's side, but the women's side as well. So Ashworth might be. I, I, I mean, he's going to have suitors. He's going to have suitors. However, when you know he's leaving or he, he can leave at some point, you prepare accordingly. And so what do you do? This is how, like, I keep using this word, but this is how diabolical Bloom and Barber are. You make Davey, David Ware, the loans manager. What's David's Ware, uh, David Ware's background? Pretty much the same thing. He just hasn't worked with the FA. He's a player, played, I think it was 19 seasons through in the UK and Scotland. He's played uh, university soccer, or soccer as they call it here, in the States. Okay, He's managed, been assistant manager. Uh, he's coached players. 
they bring him in as a um, as a loans manager, which I'm sharing threads on next week. And what they do is you groom him to how I mean, let's just be super simplistic about it. you groom him to how Dan Ashworth thinks and how it works at Brighton. Then you t- you take a step back, you judge if if David Ware is understanding it, but then you also on then you also measure is it working? Like it, it is the work that we are giving Ware are we seeing fruits to the Brighton DNA? Okay. So I have a theory, and it's not it's not scientific at all, but it's to me it's sports, right? So I grew up in the '90s, and um, I'll use a sport of basketball. Um, everybody on Earth, let me rephrase that. Everybody in the Milky Way galaxy understood that if Michael Jordan got the ball within the last 30 seconds of any basketball game, any basketball game. The odds were very much in your favor that he was taking that shot, right? Let me rephrase that. Not even taking that shot. He was going to make that shot. Like, that's how otherworldly he was. He is. I mean, it's revisionist history, but I can't think of too many times where he missed it. I know he did, right? We know he did. We know he did. We know he did. However... His team, you know, the Bulls, Chicago, uh, Chicago Bills, Phil Jackson, knew that that was their best play. The other team, whether it's the Utah Jazz, New York Knicks, whoever, knew that that's what they were up against, and they still couldn't stop it, right? They still couldn't stop it. So take that, you know, somewhat ill-fitted uh, illustration and compare that with Brighton. You know that what you do and how you recruit works. The whole league knows it. The whole country knows it. All of Europe knows it. You are going to lose your best talent and you cannot stop it. For what it's worth, all due respect to Brighton, Brighton is not Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Manchester City, Man United, Real Madrid, Barcelona. It's not. And they know that and they appreciate that they can still use their club as the next port of call for talent. And that in and of itself is why you're expecting to lose talent, but you're not going to, it's not going to be time wasted on either side. That talent, whether it's technical talent or player talent, is going to get better and, dare I say, grow in value. But then also the on the pitch performance, the recruiting let's call it, results or uh, improvement is going to happen in the club as well. Nobody's a loser in this situation, right? Like, And, and that's where um, you, know, you, you want to be careful. And again, hat tip to Brighton. They do not manipulate the narrative. They don't. You know, The only thing that they really ever say is, okay, we're just, just you know, Dan, Dan is on gardening leave and we're, we're, we're trying our best to come to a resolution. That's it. No, it makes sense. It makes sense, and and I guess that's why the discipline side of what they do is is also key, right? And you know, if we look at just the contract discipline, just going back to your your Bulls examples, right? The owner then at the time, Jerry Reinsdorf, notoriously known for, you know, I gave you a contract, don't come talk to me about it again until it's over, kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? So, and and it feels like a very similar thing that happens at Brighton. You know, you you're made aware. When you sign or or what's happening, but after that, 
you know, just go play or, or go do what we hired you to do. And that, I think, is really, really underrated. You know, that ability to protect and maximise the value of their contracts, right? To maximise the investment in their players. And I think showing that side of your organisation tells others outside as well where you're standing, right? And maybe, and I don't know, in my, you know, does that position that they've shown or that hand that they've shown from a gambling standpoint, does that inflate their prices? Because people know, you don't, you know, you're not going to mess with us on that front. Do you think that's also part of their strategy? Yes and yes. Yes and yes. I mean, they would never admit or, or openly even talk about that part as much, even though Barber likes to joke around it, um, which I, I think is, is wise. Uh, players talk, right? Agents talk, intermediaries talk, and if I can make a joke, wives and girlfriends of players talk all the time too. They know, they know a raw deal when they see one, right? So, um, for me, what, and I'm I'm taking a step back because we've had three conversations. We've talked about um, Andreas Schicker at Sturmgratz. We talked about Michael Emanello and his time at Chelsea. Um, and then we're talking about, you know, Brighton, it, it's, it's, it's funny, right? Because they have a technical director. I think, yeah, I think, uh, Ware's title is technical director. However, Paul Barber is pretty much the face and the, um, let's call it the head negotiator. Let's say it that way. Right. And if I can get, if I can get more people, more fans, supporters to understand, and, and those who want to become uh, viable in those roles to understand, uh, I'm going to say this, and I, I'm just going to say it. It's not about courses. It's not about degrees. It's not about how much you played or to what level you played. You have to be able to maintain relationships with communication. And you also have to be able to I'll use a big word, sublimate, but more so take a step back and put that player, that manager, that technical director ahead of your best interest, just as far as doing what's best for them. Because that is the line. When I look at the over 140 uh, um, directors I've profiled, the line between them all that connects them all, the good ones, for what it's worth, the very good ones, they communicate on a level that is so um, it's so seductive and not in a way of selling anything to a player. It's more so um, one of my, as a side note, one of my favorite managers, just because of the dichotomy around him. And I, I pause. I feel like I'm using super big words on this Friday morning, but, but bear with me is uh, Jose Mourinho. There are people who hate his guts. They hate his existence. They, they cannot allow anything positive to be written about him. Okay, so that's one camp. Then you have, I call it the John Terry camp of, of people who would name their children after him, who would run. I mean, John Terry said that he would leave the pitch in a coffin for Jose Mourinho. How in the world are we talking about the same man? It comes down to communication and it comes down to empathy. If you know how to lead a group of men or women and you care about them and they see that on a daily basis, 
you will win titles. You will win trophies. You will win silverware. I'm saying that as somebody who's a professional athlete and I, or was, was, excuse me, was, and I played on one team that was like that. All the other teams I played on, I mean, you want to talk about, in, uh, you know, uh, inmates running the asylum, you know, it's just everybody showed up and everybody got paid and we made sure that we went our separate ways. What Brighton seems to have captured the market on is humans, humanity. And, and that, that's not data, right? That's relationships. If you talk to any good ac- academy director, any good manager who develops young profiles, they talk about relationships more than they talk about the Corver method. They, you know, like they talk more mm-hmm. so about understanding that player. And I think that that it's it's boxed up in many different ways, but that's what Brighton is doing at a level that, quite honestly, the field has not caught up to in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I I want as, as an Arsenal fan, I think I would I'd like to say that the harmony being created within that club is is getting better and better from what was broken before. Very similar to, I guess, Brighton in that regard. The harmony there seems very, very good. Um, and Brighton have actually shown that they're able to keep it going, even with people leaving and things leaving, right? So, and I guess that's the key. I mean, in business, we always talked about, you know, key man risk, you know, how can you remove that from your organization to stop that link from being broken that literally hamstrings you, right? So, and understanding and realizing and recognizing where that is, is definitely it's key. There's no doubt about it. But in terms of like Brighton themselves, I mean, if I, if I think about net spend, which is always kind of regarded as an indicator for the success of, I guess, maybe a sporting director, right? Are you making profit? Right. I think out two out of two out of the last five years, their net spend has been positive. It looks like their players now are being touted at serious, serious money. Do you, do you actually think that Brighton, um, cause for all the will in the world, they probably might not be able to compete for the Premier League, but they really feel like they're on a slow and steady path, which seems the correct approach, no, David, for a club like Brighton, as opposed to, no, we, no, we keep using Chelsea, but just throw money at it right now and hope it works kind of thing. Or, 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 that's probably harsh. Hope hope we can get success quickly, I guess. Sure, sure. It. Um, so I always, I always want to qualify when I have bias uh, openly. <laughs> I'm biased to clubs that approach it like Brighton. So I'm going to naturally just talk more positively about it, more optimistically about it, because it's what I align with. Um, when I don't, I haven't done it as much recently, just because I've been more so focused on the actual directors, not so much on the um the player valuations. It, it goes in seasons in a sense. You know, there'll be weeks at a time where I'm just I mean, I'm looking at Ferenc Varos and their transfer, you know, uh, ins and outs. I'm like, wow, what are they doing? You know, like there's there's moments of time like that. However, what I see Brighton, how do I say this in a concise way? Um, it's funny. Uh, most people would not, another big word, most people will not see bureaucracy as a competitive advantage, Right. Infrastructure, bureaucracy, titles, work process, standard operating procedures, 
SWOT analysis, that's not an advantage. I'm not saying that Brighton does SWOT analysis. They might, but just for effect. However, I do not understand, and I say, I say this somewhat for sensation, I do not understand why there is not another... Well, there's one. the only other club that has mirrored their, I'm going to call it, ascent is Brentford, right? Yeah. And Brentford has a slightly different feel to it, right? Brentford is more so, and check me if I'm wrong, but Brentford is more so, you know, the data says it's a good player. Nobody else fancied him. We fancied him. We got him. Thomas Frank is a great manager. Oversimplifying it, oversimplifying it, right? With Brighton, you get the sense it's like, you know, here's a chap from Quito in Ecuador. We think, we think, we hope, we hope he can survive in our academy. Worst case scenario, we load him to uh, Union Sanjula. Hopefully, hopefully it works out. They are sandbagging and down, seemingly to me, they sandbag and downplay their recruitment to the level that when Mituma, uh, Estupinian, Evan Ferguson, all these players that you just name off, McAllister, you name off, you're like, how did they beat out other clubs for them? And it goes back to the contract discipline, but it also goes back to, let me see if I can actually read it line for line here, because uh, the way that my mind thinks as a businessman is, okay, so how, if I own a business, if I own a club, I know I'm going to get some hate tweets for this. If I'm a club and I want to mirror Brighton's success, what's the fastest, best way to do that? You talk to Paul Barber, right? Like, I mean, that's that you, you can't you can't buy Tony Bloom, but you can you can buy Paul Barber. I wouldn't advise that because it might be very uh, costly. However, um, okay, so I'm trying to search for the exact quote here. Um, the quote from Paul Barber. Yes, it's in the exact thread, and I should have. Um, okay, so this is, and I'm quoting uh, Paul Barber line for line here, okay? Um, it's nonsense to suggest that we are open house for players or staff. We have a way of working, and we know the value of people. We protect ourselves with contracts, and we always look to maximize value on the contracts. So let me stop there. That's not just, you know, if somebody wants to buy um, that player or headhunt that director. It's more so they also want the on the pitch performance. Right. We wouldn't be talking about Brighton um, if they weren't performing on the pitch. Right. Like if they weren't having success, they weren't uh, upper mid table, if, if that makes sense. Um, no, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. And actually. It, it doesn't. It shouldn't really be regarded as a coincidence that Brentford are right alongside them in the table in the Premier League this season, right? And Brentford's a whole different conversation. I mean, they scrapped their academy, um, focused primarily on a B team setup. So it's definitely one for a, for another day. Um, but in terms of just Brighton, just to wrap this up, mm-hmm. these things these things tend to come in cycles. I guess you know you you have successful teams that are there for like five six years maybe, and then the kind of bubble bursts. Um, Brighton, do you do you feel the way they're set up? They're in it for the long haul. How, you know, is this? I mean, time will tell. But it feels like they're in a good spot, right? 
Yes. I mean, to me, the, the only way that this, the only way that this patch uh, withers away for them in a sense is if you take out, uh, you take out the two main people. Like we've only really talked about Tony Bloom twice. Right. Mm-hmm. So if he sells the club, which I don't know how or why he would at this point, you know, why? Um, that's one way. Uh, the other way is Paul Barber is amazing. I mean, let's just be honest. He's amazing. He doesn't have the 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 title of a director, technical director. I mean, sure, okay. But his his mastery of uh his mastery of being able to to paint a picture for fans, uh, to me, it, it, it almost like I would pay I would pay money, twenty euros to sit in on them recruiting a player. You know, I think I think you're going to need to pay more than that. <laughs> well, of course, right, of course. Uh, but but I say that not in awe of his you know mastery of the English language, just more so his ability to paint. This is where we are. This is where you are. If we work together, we can get you further. Now, the timelines on it are dependent on you and your performance, but we don't want to stand in the way of your greatness. You know, I, I heard him talking about uh, Roberto De Zerbi, and they—I mean—they've been following him since 2019. You know, um, so many. So to me, so much of football is is luck. But that luck is amplified when you do the work ahead of time. You know, it's just it's just not I've not seen enough examples of when a club is just lucky. You know, you can sign players. I mean, you, we, we see that without naming clubs. Uh, we, you can sign players. But can you put in the work windows, six, seven, eight windows ahead of time, you know, to to get the. The, the talent, whether it's the first team manager or the, um, the player profiles to where you're not worried about squad planning or even succession planning, because if outside of top six, you should always be afraid of your best talent leaving. Always. Yeah. No, agreed. 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 And you, you've got to be prepared for that. And I, and I agree with you. The, the way this, this ship may get rocked very badly is if the top two guys I mean, but in any organization, losing or changing that would have seismic effects anyway. So provided the motivation is high and, and provided the desire is still there, I, I think Brighton are here for the long haul, for sure, you know, right now. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, David, I think, is you know, we've covered quite a bit and there is a hell of a lot more to cover. You know, we haven't really talked about David Weir, sporting director, role so much because I think um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out once he kind of gets his feet under the table. Right now, I do feel like Paul Barber is definitely the, taking away some of that um, outward-facing heat from him. So so we'll see how it plays out. But as always, you know, we'd love to hear your feedback. Please subscribe to the podcast. You know, we've got some exciting ones coming up in the future. Um, you can follow David on Twitter. I'll put his his account in the show notes, as well as obviously the threads on Brighton that he has written as well, which are very, very interesting. Um, Please keep a lookout on our Get Football media outlets where we cover European football and world football. And as always, we hope you have a lovely day and we will see you on the next one. Take care.